Hi, I'm Mona Lewis, the sports director of WSU, and I want to personally welcome you to X's and Opinions. Sit back and listen as some of WSU sportscasters break down some of the major headlines over the past week of professional sports. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WSU Sports for more content. And rate this podcast and subscribe if you enjoy. Now, let's get started, shall we? Hello and welcome to another episode of X's and O's. My name is Ron Castaner and I'm joined by Dominic Perry and John Height. Guys, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good today as well. I'm excited to talk about what a lot is going on right now in both uh, the NBA, uh, the NFL, and even the MLB. So just a lot of good stuff to talk about today. And we're going to be talking about all that stuff, but let's get right into it. First off, the NBA draft just happened earlier this week and some rather surprises that we've seen. So let's just go over some picks from the top 10 in order from one to 10. We had Anthony Edwards go number one overall, followed by James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Isaac Okoro, Onyeke Okungwu, then Killian Hayes, Obi Toppin, Denny Avidia, and finally at the 10th pick was Jalen Smith. So guys, I just want to talk to you about that. How do you feel about this draft class as a whole? Because it's been said that this draft class wasn't as, you know, star-studded as, let's say, last year's, where we saw a lot of, you know, big names coming out. And to be fair, that's kind of due to the lack of the NCAA tournament, and we really didn't get to see these guys shine on the brightest stage. So, overall, what was your, you know, thoughts on this entire draft class? Um, I think overall, um, despite the misconceptions that it was a weaker draft class, I think there's been a lot of good fits for the players that were drafted. Starting with Anthony Edwards at the number one spot, he's going to be a good complement to both Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Um, you know, he was third in the SEC in scoring last year with 19 points a game. He's good at good in the open court. He has the tools to become a lockdown defender. And he's really got that NBA athleticism and strength. So you always see the high highlight reel dunks. And he, I just feel like he's going to work well alongside those other two superstars. Uh, number two, James Wiseman. I think he's really important now that Clay Thompson has been down and out for the rest of the season. Um, he's going to be like a good one-two punch in the uh, front court with Draymond Green. He's a good defensive presence. And a little fun fact, he actually went to the same basketball camp that Steph Curry taught at. So he already has kind of like a connection with Steph Curry, uh, like a, a little bit of a chemistry thing here and there. But so here with Dom, what else do you have to say about the rest of the picks? Um, I just feel like overall this year, all the teams made like solid decisions. Um, I feel like every year there's always one pick everybody questions. And then, but this year, it seems everybody's having, has good fits. And I mean, I'm just excited to see these guys play. Yeah. I think the only questionable one that everyone was kind of like unsure was the Patrick Williams pick a number four to the bulls at a Florida state because he was kind of like a, like a riser over the last couple weeks. And, you know, he's an athletic forward. He's got like an improving skill set. And it's just going to be interesting to see how he fits on that team with uh, Laurie marketing and the rest of that organization. But I feel like that's the only really big surprising one. And as a Knicks fan, I'm really glad that Obi Toppin from Dayton fell to us. And some people may disagree and think that they should have picked like a, a Kira Lewis or a Tyree Taliburton. But it's all part of the culture change in, in New York now of just trying to get on the winning train. And overall, I think it was just a good pick for the Knicks as well. Yeah, most definitely. That was probably one of the biggest surprises. Because First off, there were a lot of surprises that came out of uh, the draft. First off, let's talk about the one you just brought up, John. Obi Toppin falling to eight. I mean, as someone who watched his game a lot this past season, I I was honestly shocked when he wasn't, you know, in the top three, you know, discussion of draft picks because he is a freak of nature he's big he's athletic he can jump and I was comparing him to Blake Griffin but with a better shot and you know I guess I guess that must have just been me but New York got a good one in Obi Toppin however as you mentioned there were a lot of people who wanted to go guard because you know the lack of point guard on that team you know kind of hurts the fact that you have a lot of rising young stars such as Mitchell Robinson and um, R.J. Barrett so other big surprises that you talked about, Patrick Williams, I saw many mock drafts that have him going, you know, into the late teens and he got picked number four overall going to Chicago. Um, there definitely are some other small forwards that were probably, you know, a lot better than him that I think Chicago should have targeted. But 
let's just see how, how this plays out because that's the narrative of the draft. You never really know what you're getting until you throw them out on the court. Getting into the next bullet, though, do you guys think there were any sleepers? Because we talked about guys who got picked earlier than expected. Do you think there were guys who, you know, fell too much and you think, you know, should have been higher up? I, if you don't mind, I'd like to start first in saying that Precious Ochua from Memphis, who had to, you know, take a bigger role due to James Wiseman um, being a or leaving so soon from Memphis. He is athletic. He is so powerful. And, you know, a lot of people want to talk about, you know, his his footwork, let's say, or maybe, you know, he's not as coordinated, but for the most part, he is a, I feel like he's a mini freak of nature and he can get a lot done in the NBA. So it would be nice to see exactly what he can do, but that's my pick for a sleeper. What are your guys's? Um, I actually have two. That's kind of like a, like a guard pair that was featured last year in college basketball. Um, Tyrese Maxey and Emmanuel quickly out of Kentucky. And I actually wrote an article about Emmanuel quickly for WSOU. So I'll start with him. He is just an absolute lights out shooter for he's going to be it for the Knicks and the Knicks have desperately needed shooting for a long time and either coming off the bench at first and maybe eventually into a starting role because he led Kentucky in scoring last year. He made a team high 62 three pointers and he's just a very polished offensive player. And I feel like that's just going to be something the Knicks have like desperately needed and it's going to be a good fit for them. And on the, uh, the Tyrese Maxey side going to the 76ers at 21, he's another just prolific score he's a combo guard and he's just going to be like a secondary playmaker to ben simmons that's all they really need out of him and he's going to be able to match up against some of their uh opposing teams best players on defense but i feel like those two players like in the mid first round of mid to late first round are going to be really solid uh, in the nba going forward yeah i do agree tyrese maxey would be is a great fit to philly um but my pick, I thought, was uh, Kira Lewis, the point guard from Alabama. Um, I just think he's just an all-around great player. He can dribble the ball well, just everything. I just think he's a good fit for the Pelicans. And, I mean, we might we might get to see him this year. So, I'm excited. Oddly speaking about Kira Lewis, he reminded me a lot, a lot of Colin Sexton, who was the last great point guard to come out of Alabama. So, I thought that was a really cool pickup, man. I was honestly battling him between Precious Achua to say, you know, he might be a steal. But nonetheless, uh, some pretty interesting picks later on in the draft. But let's go and talk about the teams, because obviously we know about the top three picks and the fact that, um, uh, excuse me, Minnesota had to, you know, pick up another star or a future star to tag along with D'Angelo Russell and, Cat, uh, but then going down to the second pick, the Warriors, who got the second overall pick, and after not being the Warriors we'd seen in the past six seasons, you know, going to the finals every year, uh, down to the Hornets, who were able to pick Lamelo Ball. Who honestly, I'm not too high on. How you know we might get that uh, a little later, but what, in your opinion, what teams do you guys think benefited the most from adding a nice young star in this draft? Um, I think overall. I think Philly, Detroit, and the Knicks are the top three, in my opinion, that made the most amount of moves during draft night and kind of put themselves in a better position than they were before. You know, Philly, they drafted Maxi. They also drafted um, Arkansas point guard Isaiah Joe and the De- Paul forward Paul Reed, who I'm actually very high on Reed. He's another sleeper of mine, where he was like basically a stud at the Paul last season. He averaged 15 points a game in his junior year. Just another big man that could be the backup to Joel Embiid going forward. Um, on the Detroit side, they drafted Killian Hayes and not at, uh, out of the uh, pro team in Germany. Um, Isaiah Stewart out of Washington. And then Sadiq Bey. Those are three, I think, really good young players that are going to have a, a vital role on this rebuilding Pistons team. And this lastly with the Knicks, I think Obi Toppin and Quickly are two great additions to the roster and just all part of trying to make a new name for the Knicks and trying to draw these star players in. Obviously, they missed out on like the Fred Van Vliet. Uh, sweepstakes and a couple other names but they're definitely going towards uh, the general trend in the right direction now especially with these two picks yeah for me too it's um philly and the knicks i mean just very smart picks um and in new york it's probably the best draft they've had in years um and obviously not even part of the draft after afterwards they signed my miles powell which is very exciting uh here at the hall so 
yeah, those are mine. A lot of great picks there, gentlemen. But I'm going to go out and say that the Timberwolves really might have added the last piece of the puzzle to that team because I am very high on D'Angelo Russell. I still think he has the potential to be a top five point guard in the league. He mixes his shooting ability, his scoring ability with the IQ that he has. It's such a great pairing to Cat. So they've got another killer on the wing in Anthony Edwards. And if he pans out to be the number one overall pick, you know, that we all know or that we all believe he should be, that can be a deadly, you know, trio for years to come, not to mention all the other additions they could add in future drafts or in free agency. But another team that I think really benefited, and it's kind of out there because they don't really have to benefit, but I'm going to go out and say the Boston Celtics because you look at who they took at number 14, Aaron uh, Nesmith. I think he has so much potential to really put that team over the edge because he's known as a shooter. And if you look at Boston, they don't really have, you know, the one guy who's a designated shooter. And as a rookie, I think Nesmith can be that guy. And, you know, you put him over, um, well, not over anyone, but, you know, you put him in the games and he can get quick buckets in early minutes, you know, some threes. That can be huge. Not to mention they also added Peyton Pritchard, who was, uh, I believe he was a preseason All-American or at some point in the All-American talk. And he's just a baller too. So I think a team that, you know, really didn't need to, it trapped anyone, you know, great, if you know what I'm saying, but they did, were the Celtics. And it'll be fun to see how those guys, you know, contribute. So that'll be amazing to see. But, John, let's get to a point that – or it was Dom, excuse me. Let's get to a point that you brought up in the fact that Miles Powell goes undrafted, picked up by the Knicks. Now, I already know how I feel, but, Dom, I want, I want to hear what you got to say about this. I think it's a really smart move. I mean, it's sad to see that he didn't go – drafted but I mean it's it's nice to see him go to a team that's right down right down in the street basically um I think I think he'll have a lot of success there uh I, I could see him coming off the bench you know giving giving a solid uh a little bit but a solid amount of time but overall I think it's a good fit for him uh, I think that this is also a really good move by the Knicks uh as a Knicks fan I was secretly hoping that he would go to a team that's only you know half an hour away from the scene hall campus um, I think he's going to work well with Emmanuel quickly off the bench. Uh, you know, he was the 2020 uh, Jerry West National Shooting Guard of the Year. He's proved to the college world and even the pros that he can score like in bunches and that he has the capability to go off at any point, uh, basically. And the only questions were his age and just the, his actual, you know, how tall he is, like his size. But I think in the NBA, um, if, if you can score at will, which he's shown time and time again at Seen Hall, he's going to be able to fit in. And he's going to be a nice spark plug for the Knicks off the bench, at least in his uh, rookie season. A lot of great points there. And, you know, I was also shocked, but I was also kind of not surprised in seeing Miles Powell get, you know, undrafted because um, this season was not the senior season. A lot of people had, you know, wanted to see from him. He had to deal with a concussion, uh, an ankle injury um, early on in the season. So it kind of hindered him in his you know, progression throughout his senior season. But for the most part, when he was on fire, he was on fire. All you have to do is look at that Michigan State game and some of his games later down the stretch right before they were heading into the Big East tournament. Huge, huge games for, from him right there. And honestly, before the draft, I was kind of looking at him to go, you know, somewhere, let's say, a team that has a traditional starting point guard already and who needs a scorer who can get you quick buckets in a short amount of time, you know, off the bench. And I was thinking, okay, why not the Sixers? Ben Simmons isn't, you know, that good of an outside threat. He gets all his buckets from the inside. You know, he's a driver and he is able to pass. But it'd be nice if you put him on the bench, you put in a guy like Miles Powell who can get you quick buckets. That'd be a nice transition. Same thing for the Raptors who have Kyle Lowry, who is more of a traditional point guard. I mean, we, we know he can score um, pretty, pretty well. But for the most part, I think that'd be, um, you know, a great, a great addition to it. But nonetheless, I think we can all say that we're just happy. And knowing that Miles Powell is on an NBA team right now, which is what he absolutely deserves. There was no way he was not going to end up on an NBA roster, you know. So I think it will just be fun to wait and see what he can do. I mean, we all know his work ethic and everything he put into the hall. So It'll be fun to see how he turns that, you know, into the Knicks. So I'd also like to add that Obi Toppin and Miles Powell spent practically 
the whole summer and, you know, leading up to the draft, they were working out practically every day. You know, I see it on both their stories and, you know, it's a cool friendship that they built up, but I can't help but think Obi Toppin had a hand in getting Miles Powell to New York. I, I just can't help but think that. But nonetheless, he's there now. And like I said, we're just going to have to wait and see exactly how he contributes to New York. But moving away from the draft and getting into something bigger that's been happening this past week, NBA free agency. It's been a frenzy. It's nowhere near as crazy as it was last season. But for the most part, there are a lot of moves that have gone down and a lot of rumors that we're going to be getting into later. But I just want to talk to you guys real quick there have been a lot of big moves already but who do you think has been the biggest move I'll I guess I'll start and start off first and say that I think Chris Paul going to Phoenix is the best move of the entire free agency I don't think there's any question about it you saw what Chris Paul did to OKC who was a team that was you know dead in the water after trading away Russ and everything like that but CP3 is, you know, he's a guy, he's a culture changer. And, you know, he can do that <clears throat> for a team like Phoenix, who's been losing for you know, however many years. And, you know, every year it seems like, okay, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. But they never, you know, really pulled through. So I think giving Devin Booker, a guy like Chris Paul, who knows how to spread the floor and knows where his guys is, that's tremendous. So not only is it going to be a big year for Phoenix, I think it's going to be a huge year for Devin Booker and seeing everything else. And I honestly think that Phoenix could jump up and be a six seed in the Western Conference this year. That's kind of a stretch considering how stacked the Western Conference is right now. But for the most part, I really, really think that Chris Paul will be an absolute game changer once he comes to Phoenix. But I just want to get some of your guys' takes. What move do you think was really, you know, a game changer for some teams in this free agency? Uh, I I also agree that the Chris Paul move is crucial for especially Devin Booker's development out in the West and to stay in the West. The move that I personally have liked so far that happened earlier in free agency was Kelly Oubre getting traded to the Warriors, especially finding out a couple weeks later that Clay Thompson would be down for the rest of the season. And now you have a potential starting five of Steph Curry, Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and now Wiseman at the center spot. And he fills some presence on the wing, but obviously he isn't Clay Thompson. But he's only 25. He's still young. He posted a career high in points last year, about 18 a game. He had a 35% three-point field goal percentage. And he really gives Steph Curry an option on the wing where he can slash to the, to the bucket. He can pull up from three. And obviously, he's, Clay Thompson is irreplaceable if you're a future Hall of Famer. But I really think Kelly Oubre is going to provide a nice presence for Steph Curry on the wing. And the Warriors are still going to be, I think, a playoff team. Um, they're still going to have to go through some of the toughest teams in the league and the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, still a bunch of those teams. It'll be interesting to see when they match up against the Suns as well, how that'll uh, turn out. But I really think the Kelly Oubre move now in retrospect was really important for the Warriors to make at this stage in free agency. For me, mine is a little bit more of a sleeper. Um, wasn't uh, so for my uh, for me, mine was uh, Gordon Hayward signing with uh, the Hornets. He is just an all-around good player, um, obviously plays his heart out. Um, and as a Celtics fan, it's kind of sad to see him go, but um, he's just an all-around good player, and that could really pull the tide towards the Hornets this year. We have to think the addition of uh, – or the draft pick, LaMelo Ball, is going to have a lot of fun with that too. I mean, I was thinking about this last night after I heard about the trade. LaMelo Ball is – you know, easily been proven to be one of the best passers in that draft. So if he can translate that, that could be good for not only the Hornets, but for Gordon Hayward, who after his ankle injury, you know, it's kind of been on and off for him. You know, he's had to deal with a lot of injuries and we haven't really seen, you know, Gordon, the Gordon Hayward that the Boston Celtics were so happy to bring in to that team. So I think it could definitely benefit the both of them. And, you know, there were a lot of other big moves, but going back to the Kelly Oubre to Golden State, I think that was such a great move. And I think now, you know, we should at least talk, you know, at some point about Clay Thompson, who that that's just a tragic injury that you never want to see. He was on pace to come back to this Warriors team and a Warriors team that a lot of people were thinking we're going to go to the finals you know, once again, because they were practically just getting the same team back and then, you know, some younger pieces. But 
it's not the case anymore. And, you know, but it's not like they're out of it completely. I think a finals run would be kind of, you know, a stretch and a big stretch nonetheless, but the, the Kelly Oubre pick is what, you know, might keep them in, you know, in contention for, you know, at least a playoff spot. And like I said, or like you said, John, that can be an interesting matchup between the Suns and uh, the Warriors, because if you, if you ask me, they're kind of neck and neck. It kind of all depends if Steph Curry could stay healthy and, you know, maintain his dominance that we've seen for the past couple of years. But there's so many other moves and, you know, so far this free agency has kind of been one-sided on, you know, so many teams or me, there are teams who have yet to make any moves, but there are also some teams that have been, you know, very, let's say free willing. They haven't been able to stop making moves. So I just want to ask you guys first, Dom, I'll start with you. What team do you think has been killing it so far? What team do you think has added the most necessary pieces they need? And, for the most part, could be in, you know, in the mood for real, for a big jump this season? Um, my team, I chose the Thunder. Now, this is not um, just for this year. This year, it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a rough year for them. But they got 16 first-round picks in the next seven years. That's, that's going to be very helpful. That's, that's, that is a crazy number. I, I think for the future that it's very bright for them. Uh, I know Don talked about them uh, before, but I think the Hornets, first of all, were definitely have definitely been a winner so far. You know, drafting Lamelo Ball, um, signing Hayward, and now they have the core with Devontae Graham too, who is the most improved player in the league, uh, one of the most improved players in the league. Um, he averaged about 18 points a game, and then it's just showing that Michael Jordan is is starting to spend a dollar a little bit more in Charlotte and starting to make to speed up the re- rebuilding process. Um, but another team that I think that is just not surprising, but has also just been so dominant, even in free agency is the Lakers. Um, they stole Montrez Harrell from the Clippers on a two-year deal to replace Dwight Howard. They traded for Dennis Schroeder, who's another playmaker and knockdown shooter LeBron is going to use on offense. They signed Wesley Matthews. They dumped uh, Danny Green for a, a reasonable uh, offer. And they also brought back Antavius Caldwell-Pope, who kind of had a resurgent, a resurgent year last year. And they appear to be the favorites again. And I just think that overall, the Lakers are primed for another finals repeat, at least depending on who comes out of the East. And they just made enough, enough smart moves to just keep reloading this offense and, and even the defense for LeBron to use and, and Anthony Davis to use at their disposals. Yeah, the Lakers were an interesting team because, I mean, every team coming off the championship is always interesting when it comes to free agency and not only seeing, you know, who's going to leave, who they're going to tack on to that, you know, championship caliber roster. But I want to look at the Atlanta Hawks real quick and, you know, really discuss some things because this was kind of tricky for me in picking them because they've made a lot of moves, but I don't know if the moves were the right moves. So, First off, they signed Danilo uh, Gallinari. Then they get Chris Dunn, Rajon Rondo. And I just got a report earlier this morning that they sent an offer sheet to Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's uh, the small forward from the Kings, who's been having you know a couple great seasons these past two years. I will say signing Gallinari is a great pickup for you know any team. All right, he's one of the best scores and at least most consistent shooters that we've seen. So I think he's a great pickup. The part where I see confusion is Chris Dunn and Rajon Rondo. Cause I mean, you tack that on with Trey young, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of weird because you have Chris Dunn, who's proven to be one of the best defenders, you know, among guards in the league, Rajon Rondo, who had a bit of a resurgence, who, you know, is that veteran caliber point guard, but in the end, you have both of them sitting behind Trey Young. I mean, you know, what they could do is start uh, Trey Young at the shooting guard position and then have Rondo or Chris Dunn or whoever they feel, most likely Rondo, starting the, at the point guard. That's kind of interesting. I would have liked to see, you know, a bigger move from them, maybe move away from John Collins, like we've heard some rumors, but. I just think it's it'll be fun to watch. You know, I don't want to put any word, you know, out there that could say, oh, this isn't going to work. This is going to blow over because you never know with free agency. And that's just something that we're going to have to talk about. But there has been a lot of drama 
<laughs> as well when it comes to free agency, especially when it comes to the Lakers and the Clippers. So first off, the fact that Montrez Harrell leaves the Clippers and heads over to um, L.A. is already crazy. But, you know, we came in after a free agency last season with the idea that it was going to be the battle for L.A. And, you know, once the bubble hit, it was anything but that. The Clippers were an absolute disappointment. The Lakers went on to do what we all expected them to do. Do you think any of these moves will change that? Because if you ask me, I still think the Lakers are absolutely dominant. And if anything, the Clippers really, you know, they kind of fell down. They haven't done anything of the sort yet. I mean, yeah, are they still going to be banking on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, but I mean, it can't be all them. And we saw that this past season. So it'll be interesting to see um, what they do with that. But I want to get your guys' take. Do you think there's any resurgence in that battle for LA narrative? Um, I think the Clippers were definitely a team that needed to do a little bit more to try to keep up with the Lakers, especially since the Lakers made so many good moves uh, thus far. Losing Harrell was a big loss. Uh, they did resign Marcus Morris, who is a, a good player on the wing, good shooter. Um, but I think a big concern was the center spot. And coming into today, I was looking at to see if they were going to maybe sign like a Marcus Hall and a Serge Ibaka, which they did sign Serge Ibaka last night. But I still think they're missing maybe one or two more pieces to try to contend with the Lakers. And you saw the inconsistencies of Paul George in the playoffs in the bubble last year. And just I think that maybe looking for maybe one more center, maybe potentially looking at Gasol, even though they signed Ibaka uh, potentially. But I still think that they're still trailing the Lakers and they're still going to have trouble with them this season. Yeah, uh, I just there's there's too much star power on that Lakers team, and they have two like their bench is the the depth is crazy. Um, I feel like yeah, the scales are definitely balanced more towards the Lakers. I think yeah, I agree with you, uh, John. The Clippers need more star power in order to beat them. I will say that I do like the addition of Serge Ibaka because. Zubak kind of, you know, sold them a couple games last season. He he is not the answer, uh, as most people thought. I mean, he is young. He did show a lot of potential, but he's not really the answer that the Clippers need. So I think adding a veteran Serge Ibaka is, you know, a great, a great pickup for them. But moving on from right now, we talked about teams who are killing it. I'll, I guess I'll start off and say, you know, a team that I would like to see make more moves, and that's going to be the Brooklyn Nets, okay? Because – Think about it. last offseason, you have one of the most historic offseason, you know, transitions in NBA history. You get Kyrie Irving and arguably one of the greatest scorers of all time in Kevin Durant coming over from uh, from um, Golden State and Boston, respectively, to join up at Barclays. So you Ray hit last year, but now after not having a full season of the both of them there with KD being out due to an injury. It's time to add some depth to that team. Now, I'm not saying you should go out and, you know, add some more star power to that lineup because I don't think that'd be, you know, the answer. But you you have to think there has to be some more additions because right now the only big moves that the Brooklyn Nets made was a re-signing of Joe Harris and the addition of Jeff Green. Joe Harris was probably their biggest priority this offseason. And like I said, you can't put a price on shooting because it's so important right now. And then the addition of Jeff Green, who, you know, can play both four positions. He's starting to get, you know, into his the latter years of his career. He's 32 last side check. So uh, he signed for the veterans minimum. But, you know, there are also some acquisitions of Landry Shamit. Um, but for the most part, I'd like to see Brooklyn do a lot more, especially when it comes to that forward position, because this team is already guard heavy enough. You have Chris Chioza, um, Karis LeVert, Kyrie Irving, you know, some of the guys you might be bringing over who you signed during the uh, bubble play before the playoffs started. But I think Brooklyn has to go out and make a splash. There were some rumors that he would, you know, that they would sign Serge Ibaka, which would have been huge for that team. But in the end, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of been slow move, moving for him. And, you know, when you're competing for a championship, you got to get aggressive. You know, you got to go out and you got to sign people. You got to take some risks. And, you know, there's some risks that they're thinking of taking that we'll get to uh, a little later. But I just want to hear from you guys. Is there a team that you'd like to see make more moves? A team that's, you know, has been, you know, trying to fight the current and figure out, you know, which players, you know, they should sign? 
Um, for my pick, although this team made their big move already, and I'm just thinking, you know, in the future, I'm thinking the Milwaukee Bucks as a team who wants to make it to the finals and dethrone the Lakers. And like we talked about with the Clippers, they need as much, you know, star power as possible and as much weapons as possible. And I think the Drew Holiday deal is very interesting because, you know, they traded away Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, three first round picks. They gave them a lot for Drew Holiday. It's be interesting to see what happens with Giannis and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and how they're going to mesh together. I'm kind of looking to see if they add any more depth potentially because, um, you know, Holiday's a great player, um, you know, two-way, you know, 19 points a game, um, good defensively, but he's due to earn about 25 mil this season. So they are kind of stuck with uh, the salary cap issue just a little bit. But if I'm, if I'm the Bucks and I'm thinking with Giannis, you're trying to make him stay and you're trying to make sure he doesn't leave for the heat, you know, in free agency when that eventually comes or any other team that, that are trying to go after him. You know, they talk about the Warriors potentially. Um, I just think that the Bucs need to add just a little bit more depth if they really want to come out of the East this time and, you know, make sure they, they can go get through the heat, um, the Celtics and teams like that. And if they want to have a chance to verse LeBron in the finals, which we assume would probably happen again, assuming uh, nothing else goes wrong for them. I think they just need just a little bit more to uh, hang in there with like the really best teams of the league. For me, um, mine is the Cavs. They only had one draft pick and they've acquired nobody from trades and nobody from free agency. They're doing literally nothing. <laughs> um, they're losing Matthew Delladova, Tristan Thompson and everything else. Basically their team is the same. They're not doing anything and their team's just basically drowning right now. They need, they need support. They need some sort of momentum to like, to, to have some sort of a season. I'm not even sure if a, a Coro, who their draft pick was from Auburn, they think he's going to be a good defensive presence along with uh, Sexton and Garland, but we just don't know for sure how he's going to work on that team because, you know, he was the top defender in the draft, so he's merely going to fill that void. But like you said, Dom, I think they need to add some definitely more pieces to continue the rebuild of Cleveland. Yeah, there's some moves that you know, are shocking. I think the biggest lack of moves that we've seen has to be Cleveland. I mean, first off, the complete downfall after not, you know, after losing LeBron James has been huge. It's like they're okay with it, and I, that's that's not cool. Not to mention they last they lost Tristan Thompson, who I'm not going to say, you know, is, you know, that big of a loss, but for the most part, I mean, I, I just, I really think that, you know, Cleveland, man, in they shouldn't get used to losing, but with the moves or the lack of moves that they've been doing, it's kind of seemed like they're moving in that, uh, moving into that direction. But let's get on and talk about rumors. Now, I think there's a big rumor that the three of us all kind of understand, and uh, I don't mean to burst anyone's bubble, but is there a general, you know, idea? Uh, did we all pick the same rumor? Are we referring to uh, the James Harden sweepstakes? Uh, Dom kind of shook his head. So, Dom, I'm going to let you go first, man. What's the first big rumor that you think uh, that you'd like to see or that you think is interesting? Um, John Wall requesting a trade from the Wizards. Now, that's he's been there for a very long time, and he was he was a great player for them for a, and very consistent for them for a very long time. But I don't see what team would want him. He's been out. Within, in, with injuries for years, and I, I don't know. But it will be exciting to see where he goes and to finally see him play again would be interesting to see how he'll do. Yeah, the only reason I didn't mention John Wall at first, because like you said, Dom, we just don't know how he's going to perform after all this, you know, missed time to injury. And we don't really see, like, a team that he would fit that would really, like, become, like, instant success again. And we don't know like what the Wizards will even get in return for them. And if you're Bradley Beal, you got to be like not happy that after all this time he wants to actually leave uh, the team. And the Wizards are still trying to now re probably rebuild now, like with Beal. And he's probably going to maybe ask out before we know it too. We'll probably hear those rumors. But I just think that along with this, I still think the James Harden sweepstakes. We just really don't know what's going to happen because one day we're hearing that the Nets are interested. Another day we're saying they're not interested. Another day it's Philly. There's just so much uncertainty. And I feel like with Harden, he's like one move away from finally almost getting to the promised land because he's coming at a point in his career. He's in his prime. He's putting up unreal numbers every single year. He just got to find a, just a really good situation at this point in his career. 
Um, with Houston, it doesn't seem like with Houston, with uh, Russell Westbrook, we don't know what's going to happen next season. And if Westbrook's going to leave either, I just think whatever, wherever James Harden goes, is going to be like monumental for the rest of the league. Absolutely. And, you know, the Chris part about James Harden, it's like, it's not like the Rockets have thrown him to the Wolves. The Rockets have tried to build a championship team every year around him because I was thinking about this. He gets there and they pair him with Dwight Howard. Doesn't work out. Then they allow him to run the team himself. Doesn't work out. They pair him with an all-star point guard. Doesn't work out. They pair him with an MVP point guard. Doesn't work out. So it's pretty obvious that, you know, it's time for just that team to make a move. And, you know, they got to, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard breakup. But I think it's time that James Harden goes out and does something. But, you know, I would like to bring up that Sean Marks, who is the GM of the Nets, went out and said that they do not want to sacrifice their future for James Harden, which is exactly what they're going to have to do. You know, James Harden comes with a hefty price, and that price for the Nets would have to be at least Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and maybe throw in Torian Prince, who, you know, with the way he played last season, they could take him for free. But for the most part, I mean, I don't think it's worth it. I personally would not do that because a lot of people aren't too high on Karis LeVert. But I think he is a perfect, you know, third man for that team. Because if you add a guy like Harden, you have three ISO all-stars on the same team. And, you know, there's this joke that, oh, there's only one ball. Is is that wrong, though? Because, you know, you have three guys who need the ball to do anything. Uh, you're They're lucky to have Kevin Durant, who is, you know, versatile and, you know, can slash to the bucket, you know, and drive. But for the most part, you have Kyrie, who already – you know, can prove to be, you know, a bit of a locker room cancer. You pair him up with a guy like James Harden who might be taking away some of his stardom. That could prove to be an issue. So in the end, uh, it it appears like Sean Marks had already called down the rumors and that the Nets aren't going to take him. And if the Rockets do send that, send James Harden to the Nets, it'll have to be, you know, for cheap because like, like we heard uh, Sean Marks say, they're not going to risk their future for it. And I think that's a smarter move. But I just want to bring up something that John brought up in the sense that Bradley Beal, he could also potentially ask out of D.C. because those have been rumors all season. But something I thought that was interesting was the Warriors on draft night found out of Clay Thompson injury of Clay Thompson's injury, but they didn't know how bad it was yet. There are rumors that it was bad, but, you know, in the end, until you get an x-ray and MRI, you don't really know. So I was thinking, how crazy would it be if the Wizards sent Bradley Beal, maybe a pick, and, you know, some other players, cast considerations, whatever, over to Golden State, and Golden State sends them the second overall pick, so that way they can, you know, stay in contention for, you know, a finals run. I was thinking that'd be so crazy. And I still, to this day, believe that that would have happened if they had known that Clay Thompson would have been out for the season. Because Golden State was looking to get rid of that pick all throughout, um, ever since they got it, ever since the draft lottery. But it didn't work out. Nonetheless, they still have James Wiseman, who, you know, I think can still develop. He's kind of a, you know, hit or miss, if you ask me. Uh, he missed practically all his time in Memphis, so we don't really know how his game would have progressed. But for the most part, I think, yeah, this free agency still has a long way to go and some big names that are still available. So it'll be fun to see, you know, what teams will add and who for whatever position and everything of the sort. But now moving over to a different sport, let's talk about the MLB. First off, I mean, Dodgers coming off a tremendous uh, playoff push. Saw them finally, finally win. World Series championship. I was saying if the Dodgers didn't win it this past season with Mookie Betts, then they had to have been cursed. I don't know what it was, but they had to be cursed. Yeah, good thing they're not. My took home the championship. But free agency is in the air, and there are a lot of big names who are available in this free agency. So I want to put it over to you guys. Who is someone that you know you would like to see move? That maybe someone who hasn't been in a good position these past couple of years and you think a change of scenery would do them well and not only do them, but the team they're added to do well. 
Um, the, the big name that comes to my mind, and it's tough for me to say this as a, Yan- as a Yankees fan, but I think George Springer in Houston, um, is, I think he's such a good, uh, such a good ball player. You know, he batted 265 last year in 14 home runs in only 51 games. And it's always been the common misconception, well, not a misconception, but this, the stigma now that the Astros are the cheaters. They have uh, the, the scandal that probably tarnished the franchise. And you really can't look at like Jose Altuve and those players the same again. I just feel like starting a, a clean slate on a team like, for example, like the Mets, um, I think it'd be a great fit for Springer just to get out of Houston, get, get out of that uh, messy situation because he's just such a talented player and outfielder. And I feel like he's really going to benefit any team that, that ends up going after him. And I just feel like a team that comes to mind is the Mets that would immediately, you know, get their development spurred again. And they would just be really helped out on um, both uh, offense and defense with his play. Uh, for me, who I would like to see moved and like to see get paid is Trevor Bauer. Uh, after the year he pitched this year, which is absolutely almost flawless, um, he's going to get paid big time. Um, excited to see where he goes. Some rumors saying Dodgers. Um, but right now, I think he's probably one of the biggest free agents and can he and whatever team lands him, they're going to make the biggest splash for uh, free agency. I was going to go out and say that JT Real Muto should, you know, find a new home. Obviously, the Phillies aren't bad, but, you know, they they were one of the biggest disappointments last season. And it's coming from a guy who spent the past 20 years cheering on the Mets. OK, so. Biggest, probably the biggest, you know, disappointment in the Phillies, and I think JT, you know, finding a new team anywhere would be huge. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the rumors are saying that he might stay put into Philly, but I think he he deserves a shot to contend on a team, and I don't think Philly has that kind of, you know, well, they do have the potential, but I don't think they have the it factor, whatever it is, to you know get them over the end. But in the end, there are a lot of rumors about people who should leave. But there are also some rumors of people who should stay, stay put, you know, and play for teams that, you know, are on the come up and, you know, just don't just don't hurt the team that, you know, you're on and it could end up and be something good. And I just want to go to you guys first. Is there any player that you think you'd like to stay on the team they're on? Um, I think this is the most important one of the most important moves in the offseason. If you're the New York Yankees, you have to try to bring back DJ LeMahieu at all costs. Um, he originally rejected their qualifying offer of one year, 18.9 mil. And he's looking for like a multi-year deal and right. And like, rightly so he's just been so dominant. For example, even last year, even though it was short and 364 average uh, batting average every year, he puts up the numbers and he's just, he, he's a clutch hitter. He's a good fielder. And I just feel like the Yankees need to bring him back at all costs um, to have a chance to, to try to go on another world series run. You know, it was another disappointment uh, this year with, with uh, the loss to Tampa and I just feel like they need to bring back LeMahieu in any way, shape, and form to just continue to try to um, push for another World Series ring. Yeah, I'd have to say LeMahieu, too. He's a very big player. He adds a lot to that offense. Just a very consistent player who can get you hits and bring in runs. Just He's an all-around complete player, and that's very important for the Yankees as they're trying to make these deep World Series runs, and he, he's a vital part of that. Looks like we have a trifecta here, or maybe you guys just read my mind, but I was going to say DJ LeMahieu too. I don't think the Yankees can afford to lose him because first off, it's been very, very disappointing considering all of the people on that team, all the big names on that roster, and they haven't been able to make it to a World Series. I mean, obviously you want to bring up the cheating scandals, that's fine, but in the end, the Yankees had their chances to make it to the World Series. They haven't done it. And I think that all starts with re-signing DJ LeMahieu to that team. And it'll be so interesting to see how the rest of free agency works. But in the end, this is all about teams and star power and everything of the sort. So moving on to the next question, which team do you think can benefit the most? And I guess I'll start off first in saying New York Mets. That might be a little homebody in me, but you bring in Steve Cohen, who is this energetic mind. He, he's focused on changing the culture and getting all these people I don't think there's anything you can do that can go wrong because 
think about it. You already have a star-studded team that just disappoints. If you get those guys right and then you add some big-name players on top of that, there's no question what this team can do. Maybe a playoff push. I think a World Series might be a stretch for them right now, but you add some big names and that would be huge. Absolutely big for them. So that's my pick. Dom, what's yours? Um, for me, the two teams that I think that could benefit the most are the Reds, who it's rumored they've been talking to D.D. Gregorius, um, and he might be signing a three-year, $39 million uh, contract. And then there's the Blue Jays, who might be signing uh, Odorizzi, and there's also rumors of them talking to LeMayhew as well. Those could be some very big move for, moves for those teams and add some a serious amount of star power. Um, I actually have to agree with you, Ronnie. I think the Mets are definitely the team that could be primed to be in the best position possible at the end of this free agency. And it all started with the change in ownership of Cohen. And there's been rumors potentially of Bauer maybe going to the Mets and then Real Muto. And just adding just, again, like one more or two more, just a couple more pieces so DeGrom and company could finally make a playoff push I think it's just so crucial for the Mets. And I think just after all this, they're going to have a successful free agency, especially because uh, Cohen is now in charge and he's already talked about that he wants to be more efficient this offseason and make the best deals possible for this Mets team. And I just think they're going to be a, I think they're going to be a success at the end of this offseason. It'd be, it's going to be interesting to see that and, you know, see what the Mets do, especially with Cohen. Because he has changed the culture. I mean, Noah Syndergaard, who looked like he was on his way out a couple of years ago. Now it's like, oh, man, now these guys are excited to play for this organization where it didn't feel like that, you know, the past couple of years. Or at least that was, you know, the take for a lot of teams. But now let's move on to the team that can get hurt the most. I have an interesting name to throw out there. And the fact that Nolan Arenado can find a new team this offseason. But what scares me is the fact that he might go to the Dodgers. So let's talk about the the fact that the Dodgers are just coming off a World Series. And if you add the best third baseman, or at least who I believe is the best third baseman in baseball, to that team, that, that should be illegal. That is criminal. There's no need for a team like the Dodgers, with all the big names they have, to go out and sign Nolan Arenado, take him away from the Rockies. Now, minus Nolan Arenado, Justin Blackman was having a huge season. They still have Trevor Story. Uh, I, that still hurts them. So I think the Rockies can lose a lot. It won't hurt as much because, like I said, they still have some big names. But Nolan Arenado, who is, you know, a tremendous kind of player, is still, you know, out there. And that can be very scary. Also, he's my favorite MLB player. So if he goes, it'll be like KD going to the Warriors a couple of years. That'd be a little crazy. But you guys, which team do you think can get, you know, hurt the most? Which team can, you know, flop the most in this free agency? Um, I also agree that the Rockies could definitely be losers at the end of this. Just in the fact that they're talking about, like, again, like Arenado being moved. Um, and even if they don't, they're, they're getting an even higher payroll at the end of the free agency regardless. And they're losing out on this window with Arenado and Story. And if, if I'm them, I would maybe even want to be moved eventually if they're not going to be able to win in Colorado. And again, like the KD comparison is perfect because if he goes to the Dodgers, like uh, there's no point even watching. Like, you know what's going to happen. But another team that I think would be hurt, that actually would be hurt if certain moves uh, go down is the Cincinnati Reds. If they lose Trevor Bauer, um, they could, like Dom said, bring in Didi Gregorius. But I think Bauer would be a huge loss for them and he could potentially go to a team in the National League like the Mets that they'd have to play against, you know, a decent amount. So I just think Cincinnati should try to re-sign Bauer, even though he might uh, go to another franchise. And I think they just really have to be careful this offseason because it could set them back a few years. For me, uh, my team for the second straight year uh, that could get hurt is the Indians. Um, they have Francisco Lindor and uh, Carlos Santana that are both – uh, becoming free agents. Um, last year, they lost um, Michael Brantley to Houston, TJ McFarland to Oakland, Jay Bruce and Tommy Hunter to Philly, Brad, uh, Brad Miller to St. Louis, uh, Sinsu Chu to Texas, Josh Tomlin to Atlanta, Trevor Bauer to Cincinnati, Isdrubal Cabrera to Washington, and Jason, Jason Kipnis to the Cubs. If they have another year like that, 
I'm pretty sure they're just they're just trying to like tank right now. Um, that's yeah. To have a second straight year of that would be pretty bad. I honestly forgot about that whole free agency. You just lifted off a bunch of names of guys who are, you know, they're either stars or they're you know on the cusp of being stars, and that's a terrible thing. But I think the main thing to understand is it's still early free agency hasn't even begun all these are rumors so we don't know what's gonna happen but listen there are teams who can really change their culture this you know with this offseason but we'll have to wait until a season to start to actually see how that plays out but moving on to our final topic finally we're in the middle of the season and it's just time to talk some football so we're midway through the season is there any narrative that you guys want to talk about that is, you know, just peeking up in the back of your minds or something that's just piqued your interest all this season. What is one story you want to talk about or one team, one player, one, whatever that you think has been really the story of this NFL season? Um, my pick for this topic is something that's obvious, but also at the same time, like you kind of have to think about a little bit is basically the emergence of our young, our next generation of young quarterbacks. And we're seeing like with the exception of uh, Ben Roethlisberger, and he's having an amazing season, but you know, he has maybe one or two years left. You see Phillip Rivers is starting to trail off a little bit. Drew Brees is hurt. You're starting to see that the young quarterbacks are really starting to take over the rest of the league. You see um, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. They're really starting to um, form a rivalry there. Maybe not as much as a, like a past, you know, Tom Brady, Payne Manning rivalry just yet. Cause so far Mahomes has had Lamar's number, but you're starting to see that in the AFC, especially see Tua Tagovailoa, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert um, week one, when the Chargers played the Bengals, it was the first, it was just like, you're starting to see that Herbert Tua and Burrow are going to be the, the main competition for Mahomes going forward. If Lamar Jackson can't get it done, because he's had a couple of shots so far um, you know, as the Ravens, you know, the Ravens already lost them this, this season. And now it's between the Steelers, Ravens and chiefs in the top of the AFC, but just starting to see that the young quarterbacks are stepping up. They're exciting to watch um, me personally. I've never really, watch the Dolphins as much, but now that Tua has been playing, I find them much more entertaining to watch. Uh, even Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, not in a great situation, but you know, he's, I think he's a good quarterback and he's going to need some time to develop. And Justin Herbert just had some bad luck with the Chargers. Um, not a great defense, but he's been putting up, you know, great numbers so far, almost like 20 touchdowns. And I just think that the, the young quarterback takeover is almost here, and, but it's been really prevalent so far in this season. Um, for me, what I'd like to talk about is the situation with, these, with the Cowboys, um, both coaching and quarterback situation and dealing with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, it's a rough situation down there. De um, that the Cowboys are finally seeing how important Dak Prescott is and his gruesome injury is going to get him paid big time. And if, they're not willing to pay him they're gonna to have to ship him off somewhere and the coaching from Mike McCarthy has not been great this year uh he's looking nothing like himself when they were uh, when he was coaching with the Packers um it's just it's like a circus down there you don't know what's gonna happen next a lot of big stories and um talking about you know the young quarterbacks you can't forget about Josh Allen who is putting up MVP numbers among among that, but a lot of stars in the quarterback league, and not to mention we're about to have Trevor Lawrence mm -hmm. enter the league, you know, in this upcoming draft. So that just adds on to that. But mm -hmm. uh, touching on the Cowboys as well, it was so tragic to see Dak go down. And not to mention, I saw a fun stat that before this week, Despite his injury in week four, I believe it was, week four, Dak Prescott still has more passing yards than Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson, and I'm, I'm slipping on the, the, the other two. But nonetheless, he hasn't played in about five weeks, and the man still has more passing yards than, you know, some guys who are former MVPs. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's a crazy thing. But what I want to talk about is the Miami Dolphins. Now, Dolphins took Tua Tagovailoa in the draft this season, who I still believe might be the best quarterback to come out of that draft, and he's shown it too. 
perfect start to his career. But I'm not going to give him all the credit. I really believe that the Dolphins defense kind of bails him out sometimes. Not to say he hasn't, you know, contributed, but the Dolphins defense has been huge for them. Not to mention they are catching fire, you know, and on the perfect time of the season. And the Bills, who are, you know, their AFC, really the only other, you know, competitors in the AFC East, they've shown signs of flopping and flopping hard. I mean, this team was putting up ridiculous numbers in the first three games. Then they lose, you know, games back to back. They don't score a single touchdown against the Jets, which is sad. But, um, I mean, you add that, and I think their Week 17 matchup between the Bills and the Dolphins might just, you know, that might prove who wins that division. I'm still banking on that. My hot take is kind of that the Dolphins are going to win that division, really, and it's going to come down to Week 17. It's going to be, you know, all eyes on Tua and Josh Allen for the AFC East crown. And, you know, that's just something we're going to have to monitor. But going away from that and touching more about, you know, Big game, the Super Bowl. Obviously, you know, you can start your picks from the day after the Super Bowl to, you know, the first game of the season, whatever this is and that. Do you think um, – how, how can I – okay, how can I word this? What teams do you think are going to get to the Super Bowl and explain how they will? So you think they're going to win out the rest of the – you know, the rest of the schedule – you know, who do you think they're going to be in the playoffs? Who do you think is going to be the biggest competition? What's the hump you think you got to get over? I just want to get your guys' takes on who do you honestly think has the best chance of getting to the big game? Uh, my Super Bowl prediction has been, it's been like on and off, like figuring out exactly who I think is going to make it just because there's still a lot of uncertainty with a lot of developments in the league. But I think because it, I think it's going to be the 10 year anniversary of Super Bowl 45. I think it's going to be the Steelers against the Packers. And the big, the big uh, stigmas for the Steelers this year is that they haven't played any, any tough competition, that they're the, the most overrated, under, undefeated team in NFL history. But, again, it's not their fault that the NFL schedule gave them some of these games, you know, against the Giants, you know, some easier teams. But they have, they have beaten the Browns. They beat up the Browns. They beat the Titans. They've beaten the Ravens. And I think that this Thanksgiving game against Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, again, on, on Thursday night, is going to be a big way to show that the Steelers are for real if they can pull off a win in that game. And they're going to have to go through the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. It's, I think that's what's going to happen. Many people think they're, many people, they're going to think they're going to lose in the first round. And I think it's going to be a tough game. But the Steelers, I think the Steelers' defense, um, the pass coverage isn't you know, the best, but their pass rush is just, I think, is insane. They've led the league in sacks for the last two years. T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, they're coming off of career, career years. And then their offense. I think Ben has his best supporting cast he might have he might have ever had, especially since the Killer B era, where he's got Claypool, he's got Johnson, he's got um, Juju uh, Juju Smith Schuster. He's got so many weapons, and I just think that in a game against the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs defense has been it's been as obviously not as dominant as the Steelers. It's been solid, but you know shaky still at times. I think it's going to be a great game in the AFC Championship, but I think the Steelers I think will finally knock them off. Plus, I think it's hard for a team to go back to the Super Bowl in back-to-back years anyway. Um, again, still a lot of time left to see. But in the NFC, I think the Packers are going to make it there with uh, Rodgers having another uh, resurgent year, 26 touchdowns so far, which is insane. Um, the early pick was Seattle because Russell Wilson was putting up his MVP-like numbers. But as we've seen time and time again, their defense isn't as, isn't as dominant as we thought it was, and it's just been really struggling this year. And if they play the Packers in the NFC Championship, you're gonna, we're probably gonna see Rodgers light them up. And I just think with Aaron Jones, you know, he's a stud, and I think Devontae Adams is now healthy, um, one of the top three, four best receivers in the league. Um, Aaron Rodgers playing as, as good as he ever has been. I think that it's very possible we could see a, a rematch of a past Super Bowl this year for the 2020 Super Bowl. Yeah, I see the same thing. I mean, the NFC this year. I mean. Granted that Seahawks division is insane and those teams are great. I, I only, I only see it happening to, I see only see Packers to the Super Bowl right now. I mean, they're the most dominant team in the NFC right now. And 
I still I see Steelers or Chiefs in the, for the AFC. Um, I do feel like the the top AFC teams, like the Steelers and the um, Chiefs, I think I think it's going to be an AFC winning year for the Super Bowl. I mean, those are two very strong teams. Um, we'd have to see who can prove themselves uh, throughout the rest of the season. And, I mean, I'm just excited to see some playoff football coming up. Now, my pick, I'm going to start with the NFC first. I think Seattle is going to be able to pull it together and they'll make a run for the Super Bowl. Obviously, they started off on fire, and it was like, you know, it's no doubt this team might go to the Super Bowl. Then they fell off. But if you ask me, I think Pete Carroll is too good of a coach, and that is too good of an organization to the point where they won't be able to make shifts just in time for the playoffs. So Russell Wilson, you know, he has, you know, sold a couple games. But I think I think he'll be good enough to be able to, you know, flip the switch and get back into, you know, game time mode, cut the silly mistakes, and, you know, get his team to a winning caliber. What really does it for him is a historically bad defense. It's been tremendous. I mean, you know, I, I grew up on the Legion of Boom. Seahawks and it's weird seeing you know what this team is doing not to mention adding one of the best safeties in the league and Jamal Adams in the offseason not doing much kind of crazy to look at but like I said I think that team will get the defense right you know in the perfect time might might not be this week might not be next week but I think once you get into you know week 13 14 15 16 we're going to start seeing a change in that defense as the right you know thing for them to do and I think they'll take the NFC but going down and looking at the Chiefs, I think that's kind of I think that's kind of the best and safest choice to look at because you have Patrick Mahomes and I firmly believe that as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, you have a shot at going to the Super Bowl. Doesn't know if fans are butts about it, but I do agree with the fact that the Steelers might be their biggest competition in getting there. So but like like it was brought up. I still think the Steelers, you know, easy schedule this season might prove to hurt them when once it comes to playing, you know, a juggernaut, like, you know, maybe the like the Chiefs or for all we know, they can get out even earlier than that. And not to mention the Steelers kind of prove over history that there are some games that we know they should win, but they'll end up losing, you know, in a tragic manner. And we we we've all seen a couple of those games. So I still think the Chiefs are hot enough to win the AFC and honestly when it comes to the Chiefs and Seahawks I think that's a dream Super Bowl matchup that we're just gonna have to sit back and enjoy I won't I won't want to pick a winner because I, that's too crazy of a game but I think the fact that we'll get you know an amazing Super Bowl is good enough good enough for me but now let's get into our last bullet and something fun to you know end this X's of O's episode so we've seen betting odds, and for a lot of things this season, who's going to win MVP, who's going to lead the league in rushing, receiving, this and that. And an interesting one that I saw has been, who is what has a better chance of happening? The Jets, who are currently 0-9, going, uh, going 0-16, or the Steelers going 16-0? I'll start off and say it first. It's the Jets going 0-16. There is no question about that. Sam Darnold has lost his spot, and the team doesn't even know what they're going to do with them anymore. And if they get number one overall, then it's pretty much, you know, a goodbye Darnold and hope to see what we can get for him. And don't get me wrong, Jets can add a lot. And, you know, for the future years, I might benefit them. But I don't. I really don't see any shot of them, you know, winning a single game this season. And if you're a Jet fan, that has to be music to your ears because that means the Trevor Lawrence train will be stopping at MetLife Stadium soon. But for the Steelers, though, like we mentioned, I think they're going to have one of those games where they just won't look like the Pittsburgh Steelers we're used to seeing and they'll just, you know, lose. But I want to talk to you guys on now. Who do you think, you know, who do you, what do you think has a better chance of happening? Um. Like you said, Ronnie, before, like as a Steelers fan, I really think that they're not going to go 16-0. and And I really hope that they don't because I, if they lose in the first round or something like that, the whole season is a bust. And they do play down to so many teams like in the past where they lose like these heartbreaking games. Like today, for example, they're in a trap game with the Jaguars out of way. Right now they're up 10-3 and Minka just got a pick. But 
coming up, they got the Ravens Thanksgiving game. They got the Washington football team they should take care of. But at Buffalo, that game is going to be really hard against Josh Allen. Um, at Cincinnati, it's a, a divisional away game. And then uh, the Colts. And then and then again at Cleveland to end the season. Now, a, tough road games. And I think that they're going to probably drop, you know, one or two, a couple here and there. And I just hope that they just have enough momentum to go into the postseason um, still red hot and just not to be so focused on this undefeated scene. Cause again, like if they lose in the playoffs, even in like the first round AFC championship, doesn't matter. The whole season's a bust if they can't do it. And then for the jets, I read a stat that the jets actually at the beginning of the season had the second toughest schedule uh, percentage wise. And for the remainder of the year at the chargers, tough game, the dolphins, the Raiders, Seahawks, Rams, Browns, and Patriots. I think the only the one or two games that they could win, Maybe the Patriot game at the end of the year because they always play. That's always a tough game. Um, and again, the Browns potentially. But I just think that, like you said, as, as you're a Jet fan, they're going to pray that they get Trevor Lawrence in, in some way, shape and form. And the Steelers, I just think it's going to be very hard for them to go undefeated for the remainder of the year. Yeah, uh, I think we all know it's kind of way more likely to happen for the Jets. I mean, just the coaching from Adam Gase and just that whole situation not great i mean just as john said their schedule looks tough i mean those are some those are some of the top teams in the league uh right now and i mean 16 and 0 seems pretty inevitable right now um i mean i have my i'm a Steelers fan too so i have my i have my terrible towel literally right behind me um and i think with playing the Bills and the Ravens towards the end of the year, I feel like the Steelers would drop one of those games. Um, and then I see them this season going 15-1, 14-2, something like that. Um, but I think the more interesting topic on this is that how the Steelers are going to look the, uh, the first game they play in the playoffs since they're playing 13 weeks straight since they had their bye week three um, because of the whole Titans coronavirus mess. I think that that to me is going to be very interesting to see uh, how that plays out after 13 straight weeks of football. A lot of fun stuff there, gentlemen, but that'll do it for this episode of X's and O's brought to you by WSU Sports. Thank you so much for joining us. For John Height and Dominic Perry, I'm Ryan Castaneda. We'll see you next week.